Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful, frigid Friday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm pretty good. You know, in your car, when you're out there driving, and it has the temperature, and it shows a little snowflake? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I just get a call from my wife. She's on the road. She's all, I'm seeing the snowflake. She's got the snowflake. It's never a good thing. We don't like the snowflake. She said it was 35 in the car. Yeah, yeah, Driving to Los Angeles. Yeah, Yeah, it's no good. We don't like that. That's not what we signed up for. That's not why we pay these high prices. California, get your act together. You know what, though? Anyone, you know, don't come to California. It's it's freezing cold here. Don't don't move here. Freezing. Freezing. There was frost on my windshield the other day. Don't come here. These people, (laughs) like, just shoveling snow. I mean, earthquakes, fires... Uh, really bad wind. Apocalyptic, wind. really. Yeah, and now freezing cold. Don't come here. It's, you don't want to live here. You will see the snowflake. You don't want to <laughs> see the snowflake. Oh, gosh, Dave. I mean, uh, this basketball team this year... It could drive me, you to distraction, Tracy. Leaves me frigid. <laughs> yeah, it could drive you to distraction. All right, so last night uh, UCLA uh, went on the road, uh, and that's a key phrase there. Went on, the ro- went on the road, because that seems to be a bugaboo, uh, to Oregon and uh, lost 68-63 in a really, uh, I want to say dreadful. I want to say dreadful basketball game. Uh, on, neither, on both sides. Yeah, neither team played well. Um, yeah. I would say you could distract yourself into believing that UCLA played effective defense because Oregon didn't score that much, but that would be a false assessment. Oregon yes. was just turning the ball over a lot in kind of unforced and stupid ways. 12 uh, turnovers in the first half. Yeah, and it was the only thing 12. keeping UCLA in the game. Um, yeah. if, if if they hadn't been so uh, happy crappy with the ball, uh, UCLA would have been down by 15 at halftime. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, that you know kind of the standard line where the defense didn't travel. It really didn't. But on top of that, as has been the case on the road basically every single time, um, except for the Stanford game uh, in the last few weeks, uh, they also just couldn't shoot at all. Um, a lot of open threes, uh, couldn't make anything. Um, and Mick, I, so one thing I'll say, and this is something that um, I think is becoming a little bit apparent, I think he gets a little tight on the road. I, I think he's he's you know searching for combinations, searching for the right answer, but it it seems to come from a place of uh, uh, tense, kind of frenzy. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that didn't necessarily serve them well last night because I thought there were some uh, uh, what I would call rotational overreactions. Um, yes. Mainly the one that uh, resulted in Miles Johnson starting the basketball game and then only playing 13 total minutes despite not being in foul trouble. And I would say... Uh, even with his relative ineffectiveness to, compared to his recent performances, still more effective than Cody Riley. Well, it, it's a it's such a weird thing to try to quantify because you can't really. But because there aren't stats that back up. I mean, there are some stats, but there aren't stats that really back up what the impact that Miles Johnson has on the team compared to Cody Riley. First off, let, let's talk about let's talk about Cody Riley. If Cody Riley were the Cody Riley that we've seen in the past, 
like last year, I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd, I'd kind of be supportive of Cronin using him as, as kind of his crutch, uh, his comfort zone. But he's not that guy. Uh, he hasn't been all season. He hasn't been since he was injured. Yeah, and, he ha- it, and to specific, uh, specifically, he doesn't have any explosion or lift. And so none. when he goes to shoot the ball with any, anyone around with anyone, any kind of length, he's going to get blocked into next week. Yeah. And see, this is so. Well, getting back to Miles Johnson, there we saw the impact that he and Jalen Clark have on the team uh, when they play a lot of minutes. Um, not only does it improve defense, it improves obviously it re- improves rebounding, and it improves just overall athleticism. Um, those three things that I just meant uh, listed are the three things you really needed against Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> And and those things were eliminated from the game, mostly because of Miles Miles Johnson was not in foul trouble and he only played thirteen minutes. Um, and he opted for his two. And I understand that these are his comfort zone guys. I mean, Riley and Jules Bernard. Jules Bernard played thirty minutes. Thirty one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Last night himself, thirty one. After not starting the game. Yeah. After not starting the game, and uh, it's just it. It was searching for that rotation in that game. He went back to kind of square one for him because no one was, I mean, Jalen Clark had, you know, some bad plays, Um, but he also was doing some things at the beginning of the game that, that were very positive. Um, Well, and this is where I, and so the turnovers were the worst part of his game. I think people get distracted by whether the ball goes in or not. Um, he was the one who was actually creating good looks against that defense individually. Like yeah. those, those floaters and things, those were good looks. He's made those yeah. shots. He can make those shots. If he yeah. continued to be able to play like that, he would have made some of those shots. Or he wouldn't have, and it would have been the most absurd poor shooting night of all time. Um, to your point, just to emphasize this, I went through the box score, and I tracked the times that Miles and Jalen were on the floor together. Uh, it it amounted to nine minutes and fifty seven seconds, and in those minutes, were they as effective as they were in um, what game was it? The Washington game at home? Yeah. No, yeah. no, they weren't quite there, but they were a plus three. So UCLA outscored Oregon by three during those ten minutes, and they only allowed fifteen points, which you know, if you extrapolate across the whole game, would have meant Oregon scored sixty instead of sixty eight. So that was a that was a, that was an effective combination for actually winning this game. And then there was another element, too, that goes to rebounding defense and athleticism. That was Peyton Watson, right. <laughs> who had a big impact as soon as he came in. He, he affected this game. And he was um, big in the first Oregon game, if you remember. He was probably the most effective player on the floor. And, and, then, and then the guy that I thought, I mean, were, was the, the other key and might have been the biggest key to the game for me. And he, I think he was misused, and that's David Singleton. Singleton was, was uh, first off, David Singleton was playing good defense. He got like three steals from from reach-ins. Um, so he, he was playing well defensively. And if there was a guy who was going to get them out of their shooting slump, it, I mean, with all due respect, it's not Jake Hyman. It's it's David Singleton. He's the best shooter on the team. He's second in the Pac-12 for three-point shooting. I mean, he was warm. He had played some, and 
Kaiman came in at with about nine minutes left, I think, in the second half, completely cold. Um, the way they set up Johnny Juzang and Jake Kaiman, they need to set up David Singleton. <laughs> I, I mean, again, their best out outside shooter, and he he did not get enough touches. He didn't come close to getting enough touches. How many times have we seen in his career? UCLA's kind of, uh, the other team's made a run. They're up by three or four points. Or they're trying to mount a comeback and they're kind of struggling. And he hits one, two, or three threes and that turns the game. Yeah, I was waiting for that. And he just, he missed a three, but they, he just wasn't given enough opportunity to do what he does. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a key point. And I think it's another one where, um, this is another uh, rotational beef I have with uh, Cronin a little bit is he tends to overreact to the situations where Singleton gets beat on defense. I think he sees it in his mind's eye as, oh, no, they're just going to keep going back to this because this guy isn't quite as fleet of foot as whoever, Jules Bernard or whatever. Um, and not like and I, I agree with the like athleticism assessment more or less. But what I don't agree with is Singleton almost always is playing the scouting report. And so, yeah, they might try to go back at him again, but he's probably going to cheat over the way that he's supposed to cheat and do a little bit better job the next time. How many times do you see him out there for like three possessions in a row and he's just beaten like a gong three times in a row? It doesn't usually happen. And it's because he's a smart player. He's not necessarily the most athletic guy and he's not going to be like a, you know, Aaron Aflalo-esque uh, lockdown defender. Um, but he's effective enough, and he's playing smart defense. Um, and he does stuff like pick up steals because he knows the scouting report. He knows how they're going to pass off of certain actions, and he anticipates and then goes and gets it. Um, so I, I think there's a and there, I think there's an overreaction to when Miles Johnson like appears to be soft on a particular play, like that one play where um, they were running back in transition, and that guy I don't even know which player it was. I think you cited it in your report. Uh, had the ball at the free throw line, and Miles Johnson runs past him to pick up the post player, but doesn't stop the ball. Um, I think, you know, Mick reacts to that and takes him out of the game. And then I, I think it was like played him like three minutes the rest of the game. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he has an idea of who his guys are. Um, I think he has an idea, you know, of what Cody can do, um, what some of these guys can and have done in the past, but it's not really matching up with the reality of the team he has right now. And I, that's a, it's a struggle. And I just think um, they would be best served with like a little less tightness on the road. Cause I think they're, they look tight. Coach looks tight. Rotations seem really, really abrupt. Um, and I, I don't think anyone is served by it. Well, I, it's, it's kind of a, you got a quandary because like Greg Hicks said, it's not like we're, we're going out on a limb to envision a, a good Jules Bernard or a good Cody Riley. We've seen them. So it, it follows that as a coach, you're saying, I'm going to let these guys play through their slump and get back to the guys I need because I need those guys. I get that. That's, that's a pretty... Uh, that's hard to get away from when you've seen it. Um, it's not like Nikola Dragovich. Um, right. So, but it gets to the point where, so, I mean, uh, when you're, let's just, this kind of crystallizes. We're talking about David Singleton's defense. David Singleton is, 
I'd say is just as good a defender as Jules Bernard at this point. Jules Bernard is not he we he he has a rep as being a good like UCLA's best defender. He's not a great defender anymore. He's been I would say on balance he's been bad this year. I think his one asset is he is a um a really good defensive rebounder. Uh, I think he for his size he does a really good job on the glass. Um yeah, but let, the I'll rest of it that. the rest of it's a mess. So we fell back on him as a crutch in this one at 31 minutes. And he fouled. I mean, that's the eight foul that points, he keeps talking about. Eight points, zero for three from three. Uh, and then that foul on Will Richardson, that that was what... So if you're talking about who's making bad decisions defensively, who's fouling unnecessarily, I mean, I, Jules Bernard has to be right there. Um and and if you're talking about past history, who do we? Jules Bernard has hit some big shots, but the guy who hits the big shots is is David Singleton. Uh, I I mean he's uh, that kind of was killing me in the second half. And then when Jake Kyman came in because he's uh, he's looking for some kind of outside shooting, and then uh, Singleton went out. Yeah, that that was the frustrating thing for me uh, well, beyond the, the, a lot of frustrating things in, in that game the funky so. thing about um preferring so it, there's an argument in certain situations that you want Kaiman in instead of singleton because Kaiman's a little bit better at creating his own shot um and he's more likely to be able to take a contested shot um but then and this is where again i get into the overreaction Kaiman does just that he takes um a semi-open three and then he takes a contested jumper and he gets it blocked. <laughs> and he gets it blocked and he gets immediately pulled. And it's like, well, okay, if you're opting for Kaiman for his ability to create his own shot and you're basically sending him in there with the express purpose of doing that because you're desperate for offense and then he gets his shot blocked, well, he's doing what you wanted him to do. It's just he, the result wasn't there. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's that kind of that, 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 that reaction. Um, where it's, uh, you know, I, I think there was a desperation because I think he saw that they were struggling offensively without Johnny Juzing out there. And, um, you know, with and I, I mean, uh, let's also say this. Tiger Campbell played a horrible game. Uh, he yeah. was he was he was the worst player on the floor for See, UCLA. But it was just it was. And this is the thing. Also, I mean, the, the, the lineups without Campbell out there were pretty good. It's just you can't maintain offensively with Jules Bernard as your point guard for long. Yeah. See, and this is what. It, going into the game, it looked like they had the entire roster back intact. But then you realize Tiger Campbell was not himself. No. Uh, and we've got to talk about Jaime Jaquez. It's this is a this is kind of a little conundrum itself. So Cronin said, I can't remember, after Arizona State, he said that you know he's. He's uh, Hawkes is playing, and most players wouldn't be playing given his circumstances. So that means he's he's not a hundred percent that he's playing. He's he's the shell of the person that we're used to seeing out there. And if he's so inhibited by those ankles, uh, you know he's good for what about a two to three minute stretch every game to where he seems to be the old Hawkes, but then he's not for the majority of the game. Uh, it's just, I don't know when you think 
it's tough to determine is it worth having him out there when he's just the shell of the person of the player he used to be i personally don't think it's worth it and if there's a chance that if you rested him for two games he'd be better i'd take that but they have more information obviously than we do maybe they're saying that that's not the case but it's obvious that he's not a hundred percent so that's a big dilemma on what to do with him. I would prefer. I don't that. think it's. I don't think it's a dilemma. I think you sit him until yeah. he's more effective. Um, and if that means sitting him for the rest of the season, you sit him for the rest of the season. He was not a positive out there, um, yeah. and even as um, as not great as Jalen Clark played, uh, he he was better than Hawkes out there. Um, so you, was you, you, so was Peyton Watson. Yeah, you play. <laughs> this is the thing with depth. Um, is Jaime's really hurt? Like. Uh, you can just tell that with your eyes. I don't know what his diagnosis is, but he's really hurt. And whether recovery will help him or not, he's not really helping the team out there. Um, yeah. it, it's he's 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 still like playing hard. So I don't want to. I'm not knocking effort or anything. He's just clearly injured, like really injured. Um, and he's not moving very well. It's why he's fouling a lot more. Um, and his defense has taken a big slide because of it. Um, his rebounding has slid because of it. Turning over the ball. He's turning over the ball a ton because he has absolutely no confidence in his lift at the end of drives, and then he's making weird decisions after he drives. Um, I would sit him, play Jalen Clark, play Peyton Watson, um, and uh, just go with that and see what happens. I mean, you've, uh, got, you've yeah. got good players. You've got good talent. Um, I mean, at minimum, one through nine. So use your depth. Um, and yeah, I mean, if the injuries keep coming, it's going to be a disaster. Like if Johnny Juzang's out for a considerable length of time, if Tiger Campbell's shoulder doesn't heal. And, but the, this is just, I mean, it's very obviously, this is just one of those snake bit seasons. Um, but I, I don't think you're doing anyone any service by continuing to play Jaime out there at, and I, I agree with whatever um, Mick put as the percentage, 60%. But 60% yeah. of Jaime Hawkins, it's, I mean, I love Jaime as a player. Absolutely love him. 60% of Jaime is is not good. That's not yeah. a good player. I'd, I'd, I'd put all the, I think, uh, I just can't believe that suddenly Jules Bernard, Bernard, uh, Bernard Riley. <laughs> you know, remember Bernard Riley? Uh -huh. That was. Uh, Cody Riley. And Jaime Hawkins just miraculously turn it around and become the players that they were. I, I think all the chips have to get put on the table with Jalen Clark, Miles Johnson, David Singleton, and even Peyton Watson. Uh, I, I think that's where you have to go and use the other guys sparingly. Um, if not, we're going to keep seeing like a, a decent game and then a really bad game. Yeah. <laughs> like this yeah and it's um this road stuff is um it's also a concern um so they've got two more road games this weekend uh it's going to be uh oregon state and then washington to start next week um and then it's a home game against usc and then it's the pac-12 tournament um i think to preserve a chance uh to preserve uh whatever protected seating meaning you get a west coast pod you've got to i think you still have to stay in the top four um yeah. in a region yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, there's probably still a chance to get a two or a three in the West. Um, but they more than likely need to win out or come close to it. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, they're capable of it. I mean, the thing is we are, again, 
uh, what, four days removed from this team once again looking pretty damn good. Um, and, yeah, it came against worst competition, but uh, ASU isn't horrible right now. I think they just blew out Colorado yesterday. Um, so I, I think there's an overreaction to that, too. I think there is a real thing happening where when this team goes against a really athletic team, uh, especially with Jaime playing in this hobbled way that he is, uh, they're going to get exposed a little bit. Um, but that's when you need to respond with your athletes and your defense. And, uh, you know, in this one, they didn't. Yes. Uh, so continuing on with kind of, you know, the basic doldrums of being a UCLA fan right now. Ooh, transitions. Love it. Yeah. There, there's one thing that's <laughs> that I can use as kind of a bridge, and it's those doldrums. Um, football. Uh, some very oh, Tracy, do we have to? Well, let's talk about one thing that's, I think, a little bit of a bright spot. They hired Ken Norton Jr. as their linebacker coach. Yeah, that's a bright I mean, spot. I think that is a bright spot. No, it's a real I, thing. I, it's a real thing. I, I mean... I can't remember, Dave, were you there? You weren't there for Darrell's years, were you? Yeah, I was. I was a student. You were? Okay. I was a I, student. I couldn't remember if you were Dur- Yeah, okay. So you you were aware that Ken Norton, you know, I, I think he was a couple of years removed from his NFL career. You know, former All-Pro, former, you know, UCLA great All-American. Gives up, gives, you know, Carl Durrell a little call, phone call. Says, hey, I'd like to come coach him my alma mater. Carl Durrell says no. <laughs> and then Pete Carroll hires him. And I have to, I mean, a lot of people faulted Ken Norton for taking that job and I don't at all, but I got to tell you, it did kind of, it did rip your heart out when you first saw him wearing like USC gear. Um, so that sent him on a coaching path that was, that was been pretty good. Uh, he followed Pete Carroll to Seattle uh, he worked his way up to defensive coordinator. I think he was with the 49ers for a week when Seattle then hired him back. Um, so he's had a, he's had a good coaching career and now he's the inside linebackers coach. Don Pelham has retired, which a lot of bros have been clamoring for. Uh, the question is, and you know, they also hired Bill McGovern as their defensive coordinator. Who should be the defensive coordinator? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I know Chip is familiar with Bill McGovern, so he's comfortable with him. But a former NFL, fresh off of being an NFL coordinator, as opposed to a guy, and I don't have it in front of me, but Bill McGovern was the defensive coordinator at Boston College in 2013? I think. Yeah, um, and I and I would put it like Ken Norton, um, a defensive coordinator for, and whatever you want to say about Pete Carroll, one of the best defensive coaches um, going right now. So yeah. I mean, he worked for a guy who really knows defense. Let's hope they put they both put it together. It's a collaborative effort. Yeah, and I, I think they that'd improve. Be great. Yeah. That'd be great. The The other thing I would just note, and this is just me being, um, you, well, a dick, um, yeah. he hasn't recruited, um, since USC in 2009. 
Yeah, and see, everyone remembers him being a good recruiter, and he was. But there are very few coaches who are just independently great recruiters. Like, no matter what staff you plop them down in with what head coach, they're just great recruiters. Most of the time, recruiting comes from the head coach. If, if the head coach is holding his staff accountable, uh, good recruiters become good recruiters. But it's human nature that if there isn't a huge priority on recruiting that any coach, even if he had previously been a good recruiter, uh, won't be, or won't be aggressive and active. We've got a couple of guys like that, which we need, well, a, a number of them, older guys, Ken Norton Jr., Bill McGovern, and Tim Drevno, who all at some time in their career were considered good recruiters, and then Tim Drevno wasn't because he got older and lost the, uh, lost the priority. And now you got two other guys. So we'll see if on their own they're motivated to be good recruiters. Um, I've seen so many older coaches go the other way. So there's that. Um, I think what's really interesting right now, what's happening, the, the major headline for UCLA football is the NIL um, situation. Uh, UCLA lost Mitchell Agude. We reported it as at least partially motivated by NIL money that he could get elsewhere. Uh, we've heard there might be another starter that could leave. Um, and it's, uh, here's the thing. Chip Kelly built the program uh, based on, let's say, multi-year guys, uh, four-year players who are borderline NFL players, borderline pros, uh, solid guys. Top end would be like Pac-12, all Pac-12, but don't have any real definite future in the NFL. Those guys are going, with the new situation under NIL, are going to be looking for some kind of payout. I mean, I know people are railing a bit on Mitchell Agudi, but that kid works his whole life. He was a JC guy. He gets here. And I know, yeah, UCLA gave him the opportunity, but he could have gotten that opportunity elsewhere also. Um, and these kids are looking for some money for playing football. And it's clearly that Mitchell Agude did not get a good NFL evaluation, uh, NFL draft evaluation. So he's trying to make a little bit of money. And in this uh, environment right now where, you know, I, what, I can't, is it Texas or Tennessee that's paying every single offensive lineman $50,000 a year? So it's just, I don't even know if the word remiss is strong enough not to be in this level of NIL where you recruit and you bring in and you develop and you've built your program on solid kids that are borderline pros that are looking for a little bit of money after spending years of toiling at 5 a.m. in a locker room and 
at 34 degrees on Spalding Field. They, you have to pay them off. Yeah. And, and not doing it is just, I, to me, if we're, to, I'm just, I'm going to say this right now. If we're talking about over the course of the four years that Chip Kelly has been at UCLA, of all the things where he seemingly had a blindfold on and just didn't do because it wasn't part of his overall strategy or his just of his mindset of how he coaches, this is the biggest mistake. Easily the biggest mistake because this is the 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 most the, the thing that's first easily rectified. Yeah, and this is where I think it gets into. Um... UCLA needed to show more um, foresight and um, intensity in this area than SEC schools, and here's why. Um, the SEC, Tennessee getting $50,000 each alignment or whatever, okay, cool. That's what they were already doing. They already have the apparatus set up to do all of these things. It's now just out in the open, but they were already doing this stuff. The schools in the Lee in the Pac-12 that probably have that <laughs> – Formerly cheating apparatus are Oregon and USC. Um, they they have an apparatus to actually. Yeah, but Dave, pay. you know what? That's kind of an easy. That's an easy thing to say. No, I, no. I, but what I'm saying is UCLA needed to I know get yeah. more more aggressive with this earlier because they needed to get get basically they needed to get up to speed in a way that a lot of other schools that they're going to be competing with already are up to speed. Um, it's this this part of cheating is now legal. But because, you know, UCLA only picks and chooses its spots where it's going to cheat for guys, it doesn't have that apparatus um, built in. Uh, Yeah, but it's – but I don't want to even give them an excuse. I I, I mean, there's – Oh, it's not an excuse. I'm saying they're stupid. No, 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 I know. But by by saying Tennessee already had the apparatus, yeah, they do. There are schools that have the cheating apparatus in place, but not necessarily like this. This this wasn't like, oh, we just flipped this. We're already doing this exact thing with the offensive lineman. No, that's not the case. It's not. But they pivoted really fast and really well, and they looked at the NCAA rules and went, ha, we can skirt these really fast. This is, this is easy. Um, hey, called up a few donors. Boom, it's happening. UCLA went the other way. And Chip Kelly and UCLA, that combination is is just lethal because you've got Chip Kelly who, personality-wise, is always about, I'm going to do what I need to do just to coach, right? No donor events, no schmoozing donors, no, just a lot of the peripheral stuff, you know, just it doesn't, it's not like part of his job description, right? So you got him. Then NIL comes in and you can, I can say I've heard from enough people around the program that he wasn't like a huge proponent of, hey, let's get these NIL deals going. If they happen for the kids independently, like what those flimsy NCAA rules say, great. But not taking a hand and actively trying to propagate an environment of NIL opportunities for his players. And you couple that with UCLA, highly conservative university and athletic department who didn't, didn't just snap to it and start saying, well, let's start doing this and doing this on a big scale. Um, they didn't. So a bad combination. And I'm telling you, right, I'm breaking this news a little. I've heard that there is a set of UCLA donors that is 
just livid over this. And they are putting together their own NIL collective. Uh, I don't want to get uh, into it too much because I, uh, I've been asked that. I, I've been told I can say that. Um, we'll break the news about it uh, when we can, probably in the next couple of weeks, actually. But taking things in their own hands uh, as, as they should be doing, but it was done in a, in a completely different way than other programs. I mean, yes, the rules loosely say right now the program can't be finding NIL money directly. But they're also very gray area. And every program out there right now is talking with its donors <laughs> to find NIL money. And UCLA wasn't to the point that other programs are. So, so... That's just, to me, this is the, the biggest faux pas. I didn't call it a faux pas. I didn't, and I called it remiss. That's not it either. Misstep of, of Kelly's time at UCLA. Um, so hopefully that collective can, uh, I, the objective there is, is to try to retain the Mitchell Agudes of the world, at least. Um, so we'll see if they're successful. I think the Mitchell Goody situation is the bridges were burned and there's no salvaging that at this point. Even though he could come back, I don't think he will. Um, but that's where we are. And that leads us to uh, in and around the program, I'm, I'm getting more people talking about is the feeling is that Chip Kelly is going to be here one more season and that's, and that's it. Um, there are indications that that's in inside the program and outside of the program uh, from different sources within like the coaching and agent industry I'm hearing. So that law lines up with this too. Um, he's, he's doing what he needs to do for this next season. And that's about it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, He's he's uh, he's certainly um, done his best to kind of run this program into the ground. Um, so yeah, that's par for the course. Um, um, along those same lines, uh, with the two recent names UCLA players that have gone in the transfer portal. Uh, wow! I remember I wrote that story, that scholarship number story, and I, when I did that. I loosely said, let's say next offseason they lose 10 guys to the transfer portal, which is highly conservative because right now they've already lost 16 in this offseason. But let's just say they lose 10. They would now have 34 open scholarships next offseason. They can only bring in 32. That's the limit if you lose 7 to the transfer portal. So 34. But let's say 13 go which is still conservative compared to this year. They would have 37 open open scholarships. So let's say they give out all 32. They're still down five scholarship players that they cannot give them out. They cannot give those out to anyone. They're limited. It's, they can't do it. Um, unless somehow they massage the whole thing of, you know what? They can't. They just can't. So that's that's it. They're, they'd be down 35 that is another indication like, hey, we're, we're only looking to next season, right? Wouldn't you kind of interpret it that way? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, 
I, I think um, the analogy I, I was toying around with was he's running it like um, one of those like slash and burn private equity firms. Like <laughs> we just got to turn over short term profit. Let's let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's worry about today. Um, and that's you know it's common end of ten year stuff. Um, uh, the thing is, you know, he he just got his uh, <laughs> meager, but he just got an extension. Um, and it's I'm I'm interested to see how this plays out because as we've been talking about this upcoming season, even with the transfers out, still projects like a team that could win quite a few games, mostly because of the schedule, uh, but also returning some experience at some key spots. Um, so it's going to again present that funny issue at the end of next season, where more than likely it will be a quote successful year. Well, do you leave off the back of a successful year? Do you get an extension off the back of a successful year? Do you get fired off the back of a successful year? Um, and it's going to be that kind of weird um, situation again, unless it's a disaster or unless it's elite. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's it's as the uh, as the as the world turns for a UCLA football fan. Um, and it's interesting too because. His program, what we heard about it, what's happening now is antithetical to what he said he'd do. He's going to bring in guys, develop them, build a culture. Big people beat up little people, Tracy. Yes. And this right now is all pointing toward just a one-year extravaganza. And it's not just this year. I mean, I would say ever since the transfer portal, it's been a pivot. Um, in his yeah. strategy. Um, yeah. But I think also, I mean, to your point, not embracing NIL, uh, well, okay, you're just not trying then. Like, you're not trying to keep up with um, everyone else because you don't, that's not something that's a priority for you. And why would it not be a priority for you? Because, well, maybe you don't want to be here. And and I can, I can say, I can't say the exact details, but I can say there was something that was developing with an NIL situation where uh, this... Uh, these people just needed a little bit of help from the program, which would not have violated the NCAA rules and they were turned down. So uh, wanting to stay so far away from NIL for whatever reason, afraid of the NCAA, I, I don't know how they could be afraid of the NCAA when you look around what's going on. Uh, like with Tennessee, Texas, USC, all of these, they're going to come over, and and the NCAA is going to come after UCLA for like literally such a small little. It's just not going to happen. The NCAA is not going to be a thing within five years. Like yeah. it just doesn't matter. Um, and uh, there's no way um, with so many governments getting involved, so many state governments getting involved, that like NIL stuff is ever going to be like fundamentally legally challenged. This is the genie is out of the bottle, um, and you got to play the game or not. Um, and if you're not playing the game, then you are really attempting to do. Uh, you're attempting to torpedo the program um, and making it something that it never was. You're trying to make it, um, you know, that that common trope with the real doomsayers on the board about oh, well, UCLA should just go Ivy League like Harvard did a hundred years ago, and it's like no. But this kind of is that. Like, if you don't embrace this NIO, and I don't think it's going to continue, I think at some level there's going to be some... Because UCLA 
people people knock the fan base and i think it's unfair uh ucla has some very dedicated and some extremely rich people who are uh associated with the program like i don't think there's going to be this um element going on forever but it doesn't it's like with the recruiting like with assistant coaches recruiting it doesn't help when the head coach doesn't embrace this stuff that that's it exactly I, UCLA will catch up. It might not be giving out millions and millions. That might they'll not be, happen. They'll be doing enough to retain their players so they're not exactly. leaving for NIL. And they'll do right. enough to probably attract a few key guys every year. Well, right. you're going to have, very simply, and here's a good segue to this. This is what's happening. And if you, if you, there's, I just have to address first a, a lot of guys on the forum that are just saying, well, if this is the way college football is going, I uh, just, th- this is ridiculous. Uh, I, I'm out. I'm not, I'm not a fan. And you absolutely have your right to do that. And you're saying that UCLA should take that. Uh, there have been some posts on the board that you, supporting that if this is the way UCLA is going to be, the, uh, or the college football is going to be, that these players are going to hold them up for $50,000 a year. Screw it. No, we're not, we're not going to give into that. Well, this is what you said, Ivy League, they might as well apply now because that, that's where this is going. You either get on board or you're left way, way behind. So when it comes, what's happening out there, people, is all these players, so many of them, are putting their names in the transfer portal because they want to make some money off of NIL. That's where it is. It's not just Mitchell Agude. Uh, it's so many of them. And UCLA better be prepared if, you, if, if they're going to use the transfer portal and they're going to want to attract these transfers, they better be able to tell these transfers, this is the NIL deal we got set up for you. Here's $60,000 a year. That's what's going to happen if you come here. They have to do this. They absolutely have to do this. If, if they don't, it's just, it's just not doing their job. It it just literally isn't doing their job because that's what the job is now. Um, well, if you want kids, so, um, this is where I think it's counterintuitive because, um, the kids who are going, the kids who are going to be making decisions based on heart instead of money, much more likely to be your high school recruits chip. Uh, but the ones who, uh, you know, been around the block a little bit. Oh, I want to get paid for my work. Yeah. So that's your transfer portal, guys. So so you threw into the transfer portal, and you better recruit. Better play that game. It, you better play that game. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, going to be interesting. Going to be interesting to see when, when, not if UCLA adapts. They will. Um. It's not. There. I, I think people like really, really get um. Uh, whatever the administration is doing, whatever the football program is doing. There are a lot of fans who really do care. Look at, okay, so just a quick, quick thing. Um, look at our message board. Um, has this been the worst 20 years of UCLA sports ever? Absolutely. absolutely Combined no of football and basketball, absolutely. Bro continues to thrive. Do you want to know why? Because of you and me, Dave. Well, no. that's okay. Fine, we do a good <laughs> job. Um, but you know, the real fundamental thing is there's a lot of very dedicated fans. A lot yep. of them. And a lot of them have some money because you know what they went to ucla they got a good degree they went and got a good job it's it's this all works out or they just inherited their parents houses whatever it doesn't matter they have money 
Um, and, uh, and end of the day, uh, the fans will carry forward the program. Um, if they have to drag it kicking and screaming into the 21st century, they will. Um, but it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. And just to be fair, too, uh, some players, football and basketball, have gotten some NIL deals. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson revealed that he had a deal for $80,000 annually, which was good, and I can't even remember what it was for. Um, Jalen Clark I'm, said he was able to buy a car. I yes. Mean, just, uh, from a, Let from me, a basketball Well, that, that's where I was going. Yeah. This whole kind of NIL collective where you throw a bunch of donors in, that's – it's so funny that this isn't, I don't know. Not only is UCLA so conservative that they, they don't want to do this when they, when people, when a collective is put together and they do it, there's no publicity for it. I mean, damn, other pro donors of other programs are sending out press releases. There is a, a collective of UCLA donors that is currently doing this for, for the basketball program. Um, it's not a huge it's not huge amounts of money, but like Jalen Clark has a car. Um, this is this is what's happening in the basketball program because you got a basketball coach that knows what he needs to do to win in this environment and is willing to do what it takes within NCAA rules. Um, so I don't want to paint a picture that picture that there's no NIL deals being done for UCLA players. There are. They're not publicized. Most of them have been done by the players themselves uh, with absolutely uh, or very little help from UCLA or even UCLA donors. But that's changed now with, with basketball, and it looks like it's changing now with football. Yep. So there you go. All right. Well, I'm spent, Tracy. You spent... You got any juice yes. left in the tank? No, I told you I'm frigid. Yeah, yeah, we are. Um, we're gonna get warm. We're gonna huddle over a fire, and try to stave off the cold here in these apocalyptic den times. I mean, this place, you know, out here, it's called Southern California. It's just, it's a hellscape. Well, it's a Don't barren. I mean, it's, it's both a barren desert and a uh, frigid wasteland. Um, yes. Don't come here. Yeah. Uh, continue to leave. In fact, we'll we'll hold it down out here for you. We will because we we're will, here. Yeah, we're we like will, the outpost at the Antarctica. Yeah, we, we, we will, will hold it down. We will handle yeah. it. Um, yeah. We can control, um, uh, you know, the the wolves, the the burgeoning wolf population that continues to feast on our cattle. Oh, there's that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we're at the edge of the, uh, we we're at the edge of the unknown, um, out here <laughs> in the West. Um, all right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, uh, holding it down up there in. Um, the wilderness of Westlake Village. I'm David okay. Woods. Um, you know, just uh, trying to um, stay clear of the uh, sharks and wolves down here in El Segundo. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time. See y'all.